0: The opening words to chapter 3 in the book of 1 Samuel are sobering indeed. Uh, Those words which were read just a few moments ago. The word of the Lord was rare in those days, visions were not widespread. Um, How is it the case that that happens? How is it that the word of the Lord becomes rare? How is it that visions become not widespread? People had stopped engaging with the heart of God. This is my thought. It is not so much that God had ceased to speak, but they had ceased to listen. People had stopped engaging with the heart of God, and God had obliged them and would not intervene if they were not wanting to listen I was the pastor of Pine Forest United Methodist Church in Dublin a few years back, and while I was there, an older member of the congregation said that she wanted to have some type of hearing assistance in order that she could listen to the service better. We contracted with someone outside of the community to come in and to install really a state-of-the-art system so that those who were hard of hearing could wear a device and be able to listen more comfortably to the worship service. When the men that came to make the installation crawled up into the organ chamber where the speakers of the organ were kept, they came down and they said to me, we have found a transmitter. I said, well that's interesting, just take it out. They said, no this is even more interesting than you think. This transmitter is just about 40 years old and it is still transmitting. None of us knew that it was there. It was a hearing assistance device that had been plugged in for 40 years, sending out its message every time the sound system in the sanctuary was on and nobody was getting the message. <laughs> oh, what an illustration of our life that we, might have rep- that we might have misplaced our connections not because the message was not going out but because we were no longer listening Listening is a crucial aspect to setting the word of God in motion and making it alive in our day and age. Granted, we are surrounded by noise and distractions. It may be that you live near a construction site or it may be that you are near a manufacturer, both of these producing all kinds of noise. It may be that you live near a highway where people race down the road. I have a neighbor who has a Harley Davidson. And when he cranks that thing up, we all know that he's about to head to town. It may be that you flip on the TV in the morning and leave it on 90% of the day. It may be that when you get into your car, it is never that you are driving anywhere without the radio being on. It may be that you are one of these persons that walks and talks on your cell phone device and can actually make it from one location to the next without getting run over. It may be that you love the distractions of the world and that you find yourself so entertained. It may be that you have this hectic pace to life. It may be that it is not so audible to you physically, but that there is this hectic pace to life that keeps its cacophony working within your spirit, and you're no longer able to hear what God is speaking to you. It may be that your circumstances have become so weighty upon your mind. Some event has happened with you. Several events may have happened that have caused such a distraction that no longer are you listening toward God, God's comforting voice, God's peace, or God's call upon your life to be his servant in some new way. I was at my Uncle Jack's funeral just a couple of weeks ago. My Uncle Jack was a Methodist preacher He lived out his retired days in Dublin, Georgia. In fact, he was so well known in that community, we used to smile and say, oh, he's the bishop of Lawrence County. What a man he was. I was talking with one of the ministers that had gathered for the funeral. There were many that were there that had connections with him but this young man that I spoke to, we were standing down in the, the belly of the church in a back hallway and he said, he said, let me tell you, let me tell you, he said, and then he moved about five feet away from me to stand at another place in that hallway and he said, I was standing right here. I, he said, not just in this general vicinity, I was standing in this very spot on this very ground on which I am now standing. He said, when I was a senior in high school and he said, Jack Key spoke to me in this hallway at this very spot and said, could it be that God is calling you to preach? He said, that's all he said. He said, I thought it was the most absurd thing I had ever heard in my life. Absolutely ridiculous. I put it out of my mind, he said. But come two years later, God worked its way into my heart once again. And here I stand as a testament to the fact, he said, of someone reaching out to me for the sake of God. This is not an illustration of how people make it into ordination nor is it a calling on you that this is what God intends for you to do. But what I am wanting to say to you is without our listening, without the openness of our hearts, how is God going to say anything to us at all about what he might expect for us to do with our lives? You remember how Jesus, so engaged with his disciples, had spent his life sharing with them the secrets of the kingdom of heaven come to earth. And there they were just before Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said, could you keep watch with me here as I go to pray? And they were so overwhelmed by their sleepiness that off they drifted. And when he came back and again and again, he found them sleeping, not paying attention, but very much asleep, because they were not feeling the urgency of what was happening in Jesus's life. They could not sense this. If they had known what was about to happen, not a single one of them would have been asleep. They would, it would have been impossible for them to fall asleep. But because they were not aware, they were so lethargic to make it impossible for them to get the message of what was impending. Here in this story that is told so much in our Sunday schools, children hang on these words, it's a fascinating story. Hannah comes to the temple and she is pouring her emotions out before God. She is weeping there. She's making a spectacle of herself When Eli, this keeper of the temple, sees her and scolds her for the spectacle of who she is at that time, thinking that surely she must be drunk. When she tries to explain to him, he understands that he's misunderstood completely what her situation is and that she is a broken spirit before God. And he speaks to her with such gracious ways. He says, may God grant you the answer to your prayer. Well, her prayer had been for a son. And she had actually made a contract with God. If you will give me a son, I will give him back to you. And God blessed her with this son. And when she brings Samuel to the temple, I know that it must have been Quite a moving thing, not only for Hannah, but it would have been moving for Eli as well as he receives this gift. And as Eli becomes a part of Samuel's life, and Samuel becomes a part of Eli's life, Samuel begins to simply move into listening for God. God knows the right time to speak. And God spoke Samuel's name. Samuel, not knowing whom was speaking, runs to Eli, the elder who has been coaching him, and says, you want something? And Eli, being confused, sends him back to his bed. Three times this occurs, And it comes to Eli what is occurring, that he should instruct the boy further. And so he tells him, go and speak these words. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. These are incredibly important words, and I want you to practice this with me today, not just in your heart. I want you to say it out loud, okay? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Try this with me. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. One more time. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. These are incredible words. When my Uncle Jack spoke to that young man in the hallway, he was imposing this on him even when he didn't realize it. Could it be that God is calling you to preach? Well, I've never heard of such in my life. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Samuel becomes a prophet because Eli had encouraged him at the right moment to listen. There's always a need for a drum major I remember that the drum major in Metter, Georgia, when I was in the band playing the E-flat alto saxophone, the drum major was Jones Hooks. His daddy ran the funeral home there in town. And Jones Hooks was sent away while I was there. I was just in middle school, and Jones had assumed this position of leadership in the van. I think he was a sophomore, and he was sent away one summer to go and to be trained somewhere down in Florida. It may have been at FSU. I'm not sure, but he went away to a camp, and oh, when he came back to town, you should have seen him. He was a sight to behold. He had a hat that went from here to here. And it was covered with fuzz. And it had a plume, a feather plume that stuck out the top of it. And even better yet, I can remember that when Jones Hooks would lead the band, whether we were marching in a parade or marching out onto the field, that, oh, he would kick up his legs like this. Oh, he would kick him up like this. And wherever he was going, we were going. We were going because he was doing it the right way. You and I need a drum major. We need someone who's been taught, someone who's listening, some who, someone who is truly paying attention. And I know that there may be a few among us here that are thinking to themselves here it is, another long weekend and I'm smiling at that, you know, that we get another day off. That's not this weekend at all. Martin Luther King, Jr., if ever was he a drum major for justice, we can't find anyone that excels more at this work to which he was called. And tomorrow, the celebration of that day is very much in place For good reason, that a man listened to the call of God in his life, and his deep concern because of it for those that were racially and socioeconomically oppressed is still with us today. And it was his prayer life, I believe, that made all of the difference. His listening ear. There's a book written by Lewis Baldwin that is entitled Never to Leave Us Alone, The Prayer Life of Martin Luther King Jr., in which he talks about not so much how great an orator this man was, but how this person of God, this preacher, this listener came to God in prayer. In 1956, when this church, when Pittman Park was being formed, when it was in its infancy, Martin Luther King Jr. was over in Montgomery, Alabama dealing with the bus boycotts in order to make things equitable there that were very out of balance. And there he received phone calls of threats upon his life and the life of his family. People would just simply begin a statement toward him with expletives usually and they would say, I'm gonna kill you, just get ready. It happened that Martin Luther King Jr. received enough of those calls to where he began to realize that this may well happen and it was in the wee hours of the morning that he made his way from a bedroom to the kitchen table where he sat down And prayerfully gave his heart to God again, as he did every day. But as he was thinking on these matters and worried over these matters for himself and his family, God spoke this truth to him that you pick up on in those later years. Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for truth, God said to him. God will be at your side. So I'm asking, how is our listening? (laughs) How is our listening going on? What are we hearing that God might be saying to us today? How is it that God is putting a call on our life? How is it that the word of the Lord might be present for us? Would we even know? If things of injustice are occurring within our nation and within the world, are we conscious of things that are spoken and things that are done? Are we conscious? Are our ears open? Oh, we might reduce the noise and listening. We might find God. By choosing to center ourselves on Him, let it not be said of this day and age, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. God needs us to listen. Listen.